0: Thank you, Shirley, for one of my favorite hymns. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Well, after several weeks away, we return to the book of Ephesians for our chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of this wonderful book. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. As you know, our country is becoming less and less Christianized, and one of the objections that non-Christians raise against us is that Christianity is just irrelevant. It's old. It's outdated. If they want to impress you, they'll say it's Neanderthal, and they'll say it's just not practical. They haven't read very much of it, such as the Ten Commandments. But in chapters 5 and 6 in Ephesians, we've seen it be very practical. For example, it talked about husband and wife relationships, and then it morphed into parent-child relationships. That's practical. And today we look at another set of relationships, which starts off talking about slaves and masters, but the principle there really applies to employers and employees, those that we work for. Now, there's a fourth relationship that's not discussed here, but Paul discusses it elsewhere government and citizens. So, my point is the Bible is very practical because we may not be a husband or a wife or a father or a child, but we're all citizens and we all work. So, let's look at this section today Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. <clears throat> Bondservants. Be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Now, Paul is addressing masters and slaves in the Roman Empire, and they had a different form of slavery than what was allowed under the old covenant in the time of Moses. This was much different, far worse, for example. Did you know that in the Roman Empire there were approximately 60 million slaves at this time? Most of the work was done by them, everything from manual work all the way up to medical work. Back then they had a different class structure than we have in the United States. Then it was kind of a pyramid with Vast numbers of slaves at the bottom, and then some workers, and then it worked up to a small middle class and a tiny aristocratic class at the top. In America, it's more like a football with a relatively small poor class, a big middle class, and then it morphs into a tiny one at the top, the uh, rich and the famous, I guess you would say. The Romans treated slaves with no respect ancient writings said that they were just tools like a hammer or no different than just an animal. So it's okay to beat them or even to kill them or to misuse them sexually. Almost all of the gladiators were slaves. Where did they come from? They were often captured in war and brought back to Rome to fight it out. And so the Romans said, well, they're defeated enemies that deserve to die. So it's a mercy to give them a little extra time to protect themselves in their gladiator arena. That was a twisted logic. It's not the same as the slavery in the Old Testament. For example, according to the law of Moses, slave slavery was temporary. You could not break up families. And if you are caught mistreating one of your slaves, the slave goes free. And there were other such injunctions, but that faded away with the new covenant. But eventually, Christianity overthrew slavery in the Roman Empire because Christianity began to grow and began to say we treat people with dignity and with mercy. Also, throughout human history, most nations have practiced slavery. Unfortunately, it was common in the United States until the Civil War. And even before then, it was not practiced by Old Testament standards. It was more like Roman standards and it should have been abolished long before the Civil War. Never should have been legal, and thankfully it was abolished once and for all. But slavery has been practiced ever since the downfall of the Roman Empire. Did you know it's still being practiced in many Muslim countries? You don't hear about that on the internet or the 530 News, but it is practiced in different parts of the Middle East and in Africa. Most Christians at the time of the New Testament were slaves, and but a large number of the slaves were Christians, and that's what Paul is addressing here: their masters and the slaves. Elsewhere, he says that you honor the powers that be, but if you can get your freedom, he encouraged slaves to save up money from other slaves, and that one could actually buy his freedom. So he was laying the foundation for the eventual overthrow of slavery, even in the Roman Empire. Now, much of the same principles for master-slave relationship applies to employer-employee relationship. Most, but not all. For example, slaves very rarely could get their freedom, but a worker today can always quit. There's a legitimacy for grievances, for labor unions, for passing laws, even for getting promotion. None of that would be applicable to the slaves back then, but certain principles do apply. For example, the same basic principle applied to those other relationships. You remember, wives obey your husbands, children obey your parents. Here we're told slaves obey your masters, and then husbands, fathers be very merciful and kind to your wives and to your children, masters, Show respect to those that are under you. And that can work in the workplace today. Christianity is very practical. So we're told here that the bond servants, and when you see bond servants here, that could include employee, employees today. It Says verse five, bond servants, be obedient to those that are your masters. We transfer that to say, wherever you work, obey your boss, the one that's in charge, the owner of the factory, for example. If you work in the state government, obey those that are above you. And that's the basic principle. Obey them because God has ordained rank in the different spheres of society. But as we've said before, it's not an absolute command. There are exceptions. If a husband commands the wife to do something that is illegal or immoral or unbiblical, she has to obey God, not her husband. Same thing with children, with their parents. So there are exceptions. In the same way that If a boss at work, just like a slave master, commands you to do something that is illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, you have to say, I have to obey God and not you. By the way, in the workplace, if he tells you to break the law, you better not break the law, because if it gets reported, that policeman's gonna come after you, not the boss. So you have to say, now boss, wait a second now. Let's think this through twice. We don't wanna break the law of the state. That's what the state is there for, obey the government. So you see the principle. He says, be obedient to those of your masters according to the flesh. According to the flesh, they pay you. But please remember, they don't own you. They don't own your body. They don't own your soul like the Roman masters did back then. But even then, they didn't own the soul of the slaves, just their bodies. So that's why Paul says, they're your masters according to the flesh. Later he goes on to say, you are slaves of Christ. You're not slaves of any man or woman at work. You can always quit, but we are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me address that because when we hear the word slave, we recoil from it because of the way that it's been misused from the Romans to the Old South and to the Muslims. But the Bible does say we are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him completely. He can do whatever he wants to with us. But he is a benevolent master. He takes care of us. And there's a an institution in Old Testament slavery I've always liked, and I apply it in the spiritual realm. Even in that special time when Israel was a special church state that we call a theocracy. After so many years, all slaves had to be released, the the year of freedom. But every now and then there would be slaves that said, I don't want to go free. I've got a good master, he protects me, he brings me medicine, and he takes care of the children. And not only that, and it says this there in Exodus, he says, I love my master, I don't want to go free. And so the institution was, now maybe you've heard of this, they'll take that slave over to a doorpost, and they'll put his earlobe against it, and they'll drive a nail through it and create a hole, and they'll put a special earring, that's what you call body piercing back in biblical days. And this was proof, he says, for the rest of my life, I will be a love slave of my master. I love him. I want to serve him because he's a good master. Do you see this in the spiritual realm? We have been nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're his love slaves. He loves us. He protects us. He does everything that we need. And we don't want to be set free. We are bond servants of Jesus. Now, there's another biblical principle here about At the workplace, he is supposed to pay you. They didn't really pay the slaves. Oh, they'd give them food and maybe rags or various pieces of clothing, but they rarely gave them wages. Sometimes they did, wasn't very much. But when we go to the workplace, whether it's the farm or the factory, we are to give an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. The boss has to say you deserve this payment. He is not to withhold it we're to give an honest day's work for an honest paycheck. Here's another principle, 1 Peter 2.18 says, obey those, not only those that are good and gentle, but to those that are unreasonable. Some bosses are worse than others and some are better than others, some are very unreasonable. Have you ever had a boss like that in the workplace? You say, I don't know if I want to work for this guy. He's breaking the laws, he's unfair, he makes exceptions, Well, you can always quit and draw your pay. But here we're told to show respect and work for those, even those that are unreasonable. Now, let me show you some other verses. So hold your hand in Ephesians and turn to Paul's first letter to Timothy, who was his uh, assistant pastor, I guess you'd say. And he gives, again, regulations for husbands, wives, parents, children, the government. But here he addresses those that are in authority and those under authority in the workplace. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because Those who are benefited are believers and beloved teach and exhort these things. In other words, you're under them, so give them honor, such as say yes sir, yes, ma'am, at the workplace, so that the name of God and his doctrine wouldn't be blasphemed. What does that mean? If you're a bad worker and show disrespect and you don't, you know, you take too many coffee breaks, that's going to hurt your testimony at work other people at work are looking and watching and listening. Not just the boss, but other workers, and you should bolster your witness as a Christian in the workplace. So that they'll say, you're a good, honest worker. You're not you know, stealing things and taking things home from the factory that don't belong to you. So don't hurt your testimony. Rather, bolster it by being a good worker. And don't waste the boss's time, by the way, By witnessing to others, do it on your own time. By the way, some bosses do allow you. I remember there was a Christian that was a manager of a large company here in Springfield, and a couple of Christians worked for him. He says, I don't mind you witnessing to the customers, but some bosses do. So use biblical wisdom. Okay, go back to Ephesians now. It says, obey them with fear and trembling. Now that's a metaphor for meaning show respect to them not just because you're afraid that you might lose your job, but show respect to them. It's just like in the military, you respect anybody that's above you. Same thing in the family, same thing in the workplace. Show respect, also says here, insincerity of heart. That means don't be hypocritical about it by you saying it, but you don't mean it. You know, human nature has a way of discerning if a person really means it when he, for example, says, I'm sorry, Or they'll say, you're just saying that. I can tell that you don't mean it. You are to show respect in such a way that you mean it, and that person senses it. And that applies to other human relationships. And then he says, you do this as to Christ. Now that's very important, those three words, as to Christ. We work for him, and that's an act of worship. Good hard work that's honest is an act of worship. Did you know that? This goes back to what is called the Protestant work ethic, going back to the 1500s, and before then you had different sorts of class structure and economic principles, but the Reformation brought in some very good biblical principles. For example, John Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian church, said the Christian that works in the carpentry shop is every bit as much of a priest as the monk in the monastery. How? Because he's working unto the Lord. And when he fixes that chair or he does that farm work, that's his offering to Christ, who is his real boss. Do you think about that when you go to work? Are you working unto the Lord and say, I'm doing this not just for a paycheck to support my family. I'm working to the Lord. That will help you do good work unto him. The old Protestant work ethic has been summed up in these words. Work as hard as you can, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, so that you may give as much as you can. This leads us to verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, there it is again, doing the will of God from the heart. What does eye service mean? Well, let's put it in street language that means you do it even when the boss isn't watching in other words when the boss walks down the aisle of the factory don't say well i'm gonna do my hard work And as soon as he leaves you sit down and start playing cards no someone else is watching god and other workers but you don't just do a good job when the boss is looking Or when a monitor is wandering around in a foreman, you know, sometimes companies hire a monitor to just kind of wander around and see who's working and who's not. So you don't work just when you're being watched, because God is watching and He's listening. Be a good worker. What's the old term? Don't be a gold brick, be a hard worker. Jeff, you remember the term back in the Great Britain? Don't skive off. I always like that term, skive off kind of relax and take your shoes off. Bible doesn't allow that. Be a hard worker, work unto the Lord. And don't work extra good just when you're up for promotion. Work hard and honestly and show respect even when you're not up for promotion. And it says here, not as a men pleaser. Men pleaser means you do it just to get a promotion or to look good. You are to be a God pleaser, not a men-pleaser, but it will be pleasing because even non-Christians appreciate honest, hard work. They may not believe in your Christianity, but they'll say, I don't have anything against him. I can always trust him. We're going to think about him for promotion. He's honest. He's hardworking. He respects. He respects the authority. Not a men-pleaser. But unfortunately, this is very rare in the workplaces today. I heard one person put it, In a rather cynical way, they said, to climb the ladder, the corporate ladder, here's what you do. Think of a ladder. You step on the faces of the guys beneath you and you lick the boots of the guys above you. That's how you get ahead. That's not biblical. You treat both of them with respect. And you be a God pleaser at work. It says here, as bondservants of Christ, because we belong to him. Not to the boss or even the owner of the factory. Verse 7 now, a short verse. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord. Notice again, as to the Lord and not to men. I call your attention to the word goodwill. It's just like in the Christmas story. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Be a friendly worker. And let me throw this in. It, it's not in my notes, but a little fresh bread right from the oven. At work, let people know you're a Christian. And I don't just mean wear a cross or a little button that says, hi, I'm a Christian or Jesus loves you. You should show it in your work in are little subtle ways. You could leave a Bible on your desk and people say, yeah, there's Holy Joe, he or she is a Christian. But you do it in such a way that maybe they will come to you when they are interested in spiritual things. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You may be the only Christian they know. And I've heard people say, you know, a strange thing happened to me at work the other day. Another guy that used to make fun of me being a Christian came up to me and said, Can you help me? Well, what's wrong? Well, my marriage is falling apart, or my child is on drugs. They may come to you at the workplace because you may be the only Christian they know. So let your light shine and back it up with a good testimony at work some of you can testify that maybe you were drawn to a Christian at work at school in the neighborhood it was the only Christian you knew you be that Christian at work so they might come to you in an emergency well just as the boss pays wages so does God look at verse 8 knowing that whatever good anyone does he will receive the same from the Lord whether he is a slave. Or you will receive a reward from Christ in heaven above and beyond the paycheck that you'll receive here on earth. But by the way, this goes both ways. Just like sometimes you might lose part of your paycheck because you showed up way too late or you were skiving off at work. Sometimes you lose spiritual rewards. Now We're not talking about salvation, but the Bible talks about extra rewards for serving the Lord Jesus. But if you're not using your gifts or you Backslide, you somehow it's kind of like something is taken off of your paycheck. So work unto the Lord, honestly and sincerely. Now, verse 9 has a word for the man or the woman that's in charge. He calls them masters. Back then, that would be the slave owners, but the principle applies today in the workplace. The employers, the owners of the company, and you might call them the boss or the foreman or in Mexico, you'd call him El Jefe or El Senor. Um, by the way, you know what they'd call the boss over in Japan? The honcho. You talk about the head honcho, that's a Japanese term. So whatever it is, he or she is the one that's the boss, the one that's in charge, maybe even the owner of the factory or the farm. And so Paul here now addresses them very succinctly and very directly and says, you that are masters, Do the same thing to them. In other words, show respect to them, kindness, and it says giving up, threatening. Back then, the masters would beat their slaves, even kill them, torture them. They couldn't get away with that today, but sometimes bosses misuse their authority. They squeeze extra work out of that worker without giving them extra time Extra pay for that time. They'll say, you know, if you want to get ahead in this, this is an unwritten rule. But you got to be willing to work overtime or on Saturday or even on Sunday without extra pay. He said, well, that wasn't in the contract. They said, well, yes, but uh, you know how things are. That's not fair. Book of James also addresses certain owners of farmer farms that would not pay their workers. They'd say they'd agree at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. The boss would say, hit the road. You're you're stupid enough to work for me. You know that I wouldn't pay you. There are people that do that, and that's not fair. But God is fair. Notice it says God God has no partiality. We should be fair. But it it says here, giving up threatening. Sometimes bosses will not only squeeze, they'll threaten you by saying, you better do what I say if you want to hold on to your job. And You don't want to lose your job. You say, but boss, I, I've got a wife and children. and The boss knows that and he uses that to squeeze. That's not fair. They give up threatening. The Bible says give up threatening. Let me give you a very crass example. This, this story is going to shock you. As you know, I grew up in New Orleans and my father worked for Chevron Oil Company and Chevron, of course, had all sorts of oil rigs out in the Gulf of Mexico, and so it's the biggest industry in New Orleans, bigger than Mardi and the New Orleans Saints. But the oil companies work together with pipe fitters and all sorts of equipment, and so my dad knew a man that had a very large company supplying pipes and wrenches and all sorts of stuff for the offshore rigs. This man was very dishonest. He was a bully. He showed up once at the workplace when a number of his workers were on strike. They're walking around with signs on strike and they wanted more, more time off or they wanted higher wages and their union was trying to negotiate. And so the owner, and I won't give you the name, he showed up with his thugs. And he went up to the man leading the, the strike and he pulled out a double barrel shotgun on him. It was loaded pushed it up under his chin and said, are you going back to work or am I gonna have to pull the trigger? And he meant it. Because that worker thought for a second and the owner said, I've got my men here as witnesses and I own the police. You're gonna go back to work or am I gonna blow your head off? Poor worker put down the sign and said, let's go back to work. That's not right. But it still happens in other ways. There are mafia connections. By the way, sometimes even the unions have their thugs showing up with baseball bats. So it works on both sides of the field. Management and labor. It says here, give up threatening. Don't resort to violence. Use the legitimate channels like unions or your congressmen, the police. Or arbitration between labor and management. So, you see, the Bible is very practical. Some take advantage of their workers. They require kickbacks, for example. That's not right either. Let's get back to the text here. It's saying, it says, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. In other words, this is a subtle reminder to the Roman masters. You have someone over you. God, you'll have to give account to him For every way you treated those that are underneath you. Just like parents will have to account to God, fathers, husbands over their wives will have to account to God, employers, factory owners, they will have to account to God one day. They need to remember that God is watching them as well as watching the workers. And he rewards or he punishes. Notice it says there's no partiality. He's fair. Let me throw this biblical principle in. You all know the the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want them to do to you. We should apply that in the workplace. If anybody here is an employer, please treat those employees under you as you would want to be treated when you were an employer, employee and had someone over you. About the time Paul wrote this, a stoic philosopher named Seneca wrote this, live with an an inferior as you would have a superior live with you. That's good advice. Sometimes you hear about a poor man that works his way up the corporate ladder, even becomes a president of the company, and he should remember what it was like when he was on the bottom rung of the ladder. You see, the way to really truly be promoted is to show that you're a good worker at every step of the way. And so every now and then, very wise people make it to the top. And they should never forget what it was like when they were at the bottom. And sometimes a man starts his own company and becomes very wealthy and he's the boss that has almost unlimited authority. But did you know sometimes they do this? They look at their children and say, we're very wealthy, but I want you to learn the lessons I did. So you maybe have an MBA from Harvard, but I want you to start at the bottom rung so that if you work your way up, you'll know what it's like for the other guys down there that are working for you. And I think that's good advice. Last point that we learn from this section is this. Paul is addressing both the masters and the slaves Because they were both Christians. He's not addressing non-Christians. He's addressing Christian slaves and Christian slave owners. Which tells you, in the church back then, everybody was on the same level. That was pure democracy that even the Greeks were not able to accomplish. In Paul, we find wealthy people in the church like Philemon. And we find a slave like Onesimus. The principle applies to us is that in the church... Everybody is equal. You may be wealthy. You might be on welfare. You might own a factory. You might be working for middle, uh, you might be working for minimum wage. But if you're a Christian, you're equal to every other Christian in the family of God. Let's never, ever forget that. In this sense, Christianity is classless and that's what gives the lie to Marxism and socialism and other Forms of um, government and society. Well, as I started off, I said that the Bible is very practical and I hope I've given you some practical examples to follow in the workplace. Let us pray. Father, thank you that your word is practical. Help us to put these principles into practice at the farm, at the factory, at the insurance agency, in the state government, and in our families. Thank you, Father, for your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen.